The work of improving health and health care involves such a range of activities, often starting at the most micro level. It's a challenge to pull back the lens and consider all the ways in which the interventions and the learning could have an even greater impact if applied not just organizational-wide or system-wide or even community-wide, but communities-wide, as in a region. Most of us are familiar with hospital referral regions, as identified by researchers at Dartmouth, and those HRRs have generated a lot of valuable data. Now we're starting to match some of this data with regional approaches to change, anchored in many instances by broad coalitions, out-of-the-box thinking, innovation, health information technology, and a roster of activities that you're going to hear about today on this edition of WYHI. And welcome to WYHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, offered biweekly and also for your later listening and convenience via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. I hope uh, you enjoyed a little bit of the Scottish music, tipping my hat to all of you of Scottish heritage, I suppose, and in honor of my first visit uh, just a couple of weeks ago and just a few photos of the close to a 1,000 I took, but more on that at another time. So we all know that the healthcare delivery system has to start acting and thinking like it not only has neighbors, but it has to relate to them. But how do you do that? What does this look like? All right, let me now provide some brief introductions and a reminder there are longer bios on the WIHI pages, web pages of IHI.org. Craig Brammer is joining us from the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, part of the U.S. government, Health and Human Services, where he's a member of the senior leadership team. He's also the director of the three-year-long Beacon Community Program, whose mission and scope of work we're going to be reminded of in just a moment. Welcome, Craig. Hey, hello. It's been great to get to know Shelley Hirschberg, the executive director of the P2 Collaborative of Western New York and also the project director of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Aligning Forces for Quality in Western New York. There is a piece of this that's also part of the Beacon community emanating from Buffalo, New York. So we're already connecting some dots. Welcome, Shelley. Thank you. All right, wonderful. Catherine Brown is the Deputy Director and COO of the Center for Healthcare Quality at the George Washington University Medical Center. That's where she engages in the day-to-day national management of aligning forces for quality. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, thanks, Matt. Okay. And with me here in the studio is IHI's Executive Director of Strategic Projects, Carol Beasley. Among other things, Carol has helped steer IHI's work with the triple aim right from conception, uh, starting back in 2007. She's always great at combining some big thoughts and framing with wonderful examples to illustrate what's possible. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. All right. So we're going to get started. And uh, we have an interesting challenge on this program in that we are at some level by design at 30,000 feet. Uh, We've got some amazing work represented uh, by our guests today, and we're probably going to go back and forth sometimes to be able, with some examples, as well as uh, making sure you understand really what regional work can look like um, through the lens of uh, the great efforts that we're going to uh, learn more about. So I'm going to do just a very quick round robin with everyone. I've asked everyone to give fairly quick responses to this question. How do you define regional improvement or having, excuse me, having a regional focus to improvement and why does it matter right now? And I'm going to pick on Craig Brammer first. Craig. Yeah, thanks, Madge. Great to be here. Uh, we're really excited uh, here at ONC and, and uh, at other parts of federal government as well about uh, the work that we see in communities. At the end of the day, uh, the work of transforming healthcare happens locally, and my definition for uh, regional improvement work is this uh, multi-stakeholderness, if that's a word, that really uh, brings together the diverse players who have a stake in um, in the local delivery system in the medical trading region, if you would. And uh, you know, it's very interesting tensions that come to uh, come forward, including. Um, uh, working on relationships between payers and providers and consumers and physicians. And so it's uh, uh, often, in our experience, uh, a little bit messy, 
but also there's just a passion and, and um, a level of energy there that's uh, really something great to watch. Why does it matter so much right now, would you say, regional work like that? Yeah, you know what? I think there are so many um, opportunities for uh, uh, doing changes. So whether it's deploying electronic health records, um, participating in new payment pilots, um, many, many other opportunities, but it's um, it's very messy. And so it falls on the local community leadership to pick and choose what makes sense, what aligns with their specific aims, and then pull these various opportunities together and uh, drive a regional agenda. Okay. Thanks so much, Craig. Shelley, uh, how would you answer that question, uh, The defi- your definition, I suppose, of regional improvement and why it matters? Okay. Well, I, first of all, I... Everything that Craig said, I would start with that, and I would add to that that I think that the regional quality work is very important from my perspective, aligning a whole community's goals and what outcomes we're trying to accomplish. And we're dealing with an eight-county region, so at that level, we have to have an eight-county region set of goals, but we have the ability to go down to a county level, to a city level, to a neighborhood, and the challenge of aligning all those goals so that we can meet uh, our whole uh, eight-county goals. So the macro to the micro and the micro back up to the macro. Macro. Now, I think it's important right now for uh, regional health improvement collaboratives, and there have been many successful collaboratives uh, in the country around measurement and uh, quality improvement over the last many years. But I think at this point in time, we're able to play, um, provide a balanced view on healthcare value in our regions, and we can also facilitate the design of interventions and solutions at a regional level. Um, and we can bridge to scale up and spread interventions that have proven to increase quality and decrease costs as we learn uh, in working with the different communities within uh, our region. Okay. Thanks so much, Shelley. Catherine uh, from Aligning Forces for Quality, uh, how would you uh, answer those that two-parter as well? Uh, thanks so much, Madge. Um, I would absolutely um, echo Craig and Shelley's comments. You know, I view this regional work as um, almost a common table where consumers, physicians, hospitals, and other providers, but also plans and employers can kind of come together and really tackle quality, um, probably at kind of two levels, and um, to use Shelley's example, the kind of micro and, and the macro. So I think of the micro level as really addressing quality improvement on the front lines, but also at the macro level, um, addressing the larger kind of community or kind of small P policy level uh, using levers like performance measurement and public reporting, like payment reform, um, better disease management, et cetera. Um, And to your second part of your question about why it matters, I don't think I have to tell anybody um, on the phone that the health system is vastly underperforming. Um, It is far too costly for the quality that we are getting um, for a dollar. Um, Patients' lives are at risk, and there's unsustainable pressure on employers and payers. And I think we're really reaching a tipping point um, to really try to turn the the tide here. And I think that's why the regional um, collaborators are so important and kind of a a tool in our arsenal to do that. Thanks. Uh All right. Thanks so much, Catherine Brown. All right, Carol, you're the sweeper. (laughs) Well, there's so much that's been said that's really, I think, right on point. Um, I guess I would call out our perspective that, you know, it's really grounded in the triple aim, which is focused on improving health, improving the experience of care, and reducing per capita cost all at, all at the same time. There's been lots and lots of work, and some of it has a slightly different balance of focus amongst, you know, some parts of that emphasis or in some, some cases all. But there's lots of work that's been done, you know, and, and we're just one piece of that. Um, but it, it is, I think, about um, a regionally defined intention to improve um, that includes both the health delivery system and all the other things that really drive health, in fact, drive health much more substantially than health care. Health care is a pretty weak determinant of health, but it's a pretty big determinant of cost. And so finding responsible ways to rethink 
um, health care in this country and in other countries um, is, I think, part of our responsibility. And that leads us out into the community and recognizes that the other determinants of health are very much properties of community. So the economic status of a community, the environmental uh, conditions in a community, the culture and customs within a community, all of those things are uh, quite important determinants of health, and I think by allowing ourselves a, a larger view of the system that we live in, it then gives us access to new possible solutions and new possible ways of working together. Okay. Thanks so much, uh, Carol. All right. That sets the table nicely. And I think one of the things are, um, that's always striking to me when I choose a topic like this is like a lot of things in healthcare these days, especially in the U.S., the work uh, that you're starting to hear about and we'll now start to hear even more about in detail is often happening behind the scenes and the headlines, uh, and yet really is the laboratory and testbed that's going to define healthcare's future. Now, health IT and adoption of electronic records—excuse rec- me, health records and meaningful use—may be the exception in terms of drawing a lot more media attention, but not necessarily with the regional lens um, that um, I'm now going to ask Craig Brammer to talk about. So, Craig, back to you, and this is your opportunity to give us. Uh, remind maybe some of us of the scope and the aims of the Beacon Community Program and why regional framing actually makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of thinking about that work. Thanks. Sure. Uh, You know, we work with 17 specific communities in the Beacon Program, but through this job and and, um, uh, we have the opportunity to work with quite a few others. And my observation is that Regional transformation work is often comprised of five main steps. One, health IT, wire the system. Number two, payment, rethink how we pay for it. Three, measure consistently and transparently. Four, uh, improve, have improvement support for folks who want to get better. And finally, engage consumers in helping them be better consumers of healthcare. So in the Beacon communities that you see now on the screen, we have 17 from Maine to Hawaii, a very diverse uh, cohort of communities. Uh, they include brand name systems like Geisinger, Mayo, Intermountain, and other parts of the uh, country that are less integrated like Spokane, uh, New Orleans, Indianapolis. There's rural, there are urban beacons, and it's uh, really a great group, and it helps us understand really how the country is uh, performing at a regional level, and so we have a great uh, relationship with all these guys. The beacon program on the next slide is uh, it's really complicated to talk about because each community is doing about a dozen projects, so it's really 17 times 12, right. but they're bucketed into three areas. One is around infrastructure and building building new capacity. Uh, Two is around improvement, actually driving improvement and reporting measures on quality cost and population health. And three is on innovation, really testing new things that we don't know if they work yet or not, mobile health applications, remote patient monitoring, new ways to aggregate data, uh, do predictive modeling. So a lot of exciting work underway. Uh, uh, We've passed the two-year point. We're into the third year, and now it's really about harvesting what we're learning. Mm Can you give a sense at all, uh, I realize this may be a little bit more off the top of your head, but as you're working on that harvesting, are there some things you might call out in terms of notable progress or areas where uh, perhaps um, the work has been able to uh, mature the fastest or the deepest? Sure. Uh, We're pretty excited about let me just think here of a couple areas. Yeah. One is on engaging non-traditional providers. So the Geisinger team, for example, are now uh, receiving data from long-term care facilities that care managers use to help manage that population. Uh, the Mayo team is um, electronically connected to school nurses and public health clinicians so that kids have a uh, uh, asthma action plan that parents can update electronically. Um, so there's uh, and more in Bangor, Maine. There's uh, work underway around uh, connecting behavioral health clinicians into the health information ecosystem. So that's pretty exciting. Bucket of work is folks connecting non-traditional providers, folks who are typically not wired in. Okay. Um, another. Go ahead. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. Yep. All right. 
Another area that we're excited about is um, people using uh, information systems to provide uh, more granular real-time data to clinicians at the point of care. An example from Cincinnati, Ohio would be uh, emergency department alerts and admission alerts that are provided to primary care clinicians um, immediately, electronically, irrespective of organizational affiliation. So in other words, a primary care physician affiliated with hospital system A still receives ED alerts from the competing hospital system B um, if their patient hit that emergency department Uh or was admitted. And uh, then on the receiving side, the primary care practices are um, have reorganized their workflow so that they immediately follow up. There's some really terrific stories about patients who get a call the day after they're discharged from their practice, and they say, wow, I didn't even know you knew I was in the hospital, and the practice is immediately engaging them in follow-up care. Really important part of transitions of care. Okay, those are great. All right, that's that's great. Those are really great examples. Okay, thank you, Craig. We'll come back to you. Shelley, uh, on to you. Now, Western New York, um, as I alluded to, is a beacon community, uh, kind of out of Buffalo, New York, as the hub. I was uh, kind of blown away when I got onto the website and, and looked at so many projects that are underway. So I've given you a very, very hard task to try and sort of boil it all down for us. But um, can you give us some idea of the scope of work that you're overseeing and kind of the regional impact perhaps some of this is having? Thanks. Oh, yes. Thanks, Madge. I'd be glad to. Uh, first, let me start by saying that P2 is a fairly young organization, a collaborative, and we got our sea legs uh when we became Aligning Forces for Quality Community. And when we started that initiative, we were focusing on regional quality improvement, consumer engagement, and performance measurement and public reporting. As you'll see in the slide, we um, have, in regional quality improvement, we're focusing on hospitals in the ambulatory arena. And in the ambulatory arena is where we're uh, folding in a lot of the work and supporting the Beacon uh, Initiative in Western New York, working with physicians and their practices to uh, incorporate EHRs for, po- for quality improvement and population health. Consumer engagement, we have actually been evolving that, and it's becoming more broad. It's becoming health engagement, where we're looking at not just consumers and patients, but engaging physicians, engaging employers and employees. So we're, we're really looking to explore, engage, educate, engage, and activate, as I said on the slide, right now creating curriculum to be able to go deeper into the engagement area, really starting to look at how do we really change, help people to change behaviors and how they interact with the healthcare system and uh, be able to really take control of their own health. So that is evolving and getting broader. Community health planning has evolved from our public reporting, our performance measurement work, and it's become broader thanks to uh, some funding from the New York State Department of Health, where we are really expanding into working at the neighborhood level, the community, the county level, the city level, looking, helping them facilitate their own discussions and conversations around community health assessments and designing interventions and everything our focus is dramatically on health equity so that is really our major emphasis as we move forward in western new york with the assumption that if we can create a healthier uh, uh, community around health equity meaning the social determinants of health will have a greater impact in affecting the rest of the population in our region so in terms of successes i'm going to focus on two examples that I think are really game changers for us in our community and our uh, quality improvement work. And one is uh, the Care Transitions of Western New York, which is focusing on readmissions. And I'm going to give you the example. You'll be able to understand how we, how a collaborative, a multi-stakeholder collaborative can really move the dial and bring people together. When the CMS 3026 um, uh, opportunity came up, we had 60 days to really determine what we wanted to accomplish in Western New York. We knew we already had, thanks to our Health Foundation of Western Central New York, we already had 65 people trained as coaches in our community. So we were um, 
we convened, the Community Health Foundation and P2, 100 people came from rural hospitals and community-based organizations. And the conversation was, do we apply? Are you interested? We have 60 days. And the, all those people got mobilized. They didn't even all know each other. We ended up with 10 rural hospitals and eight community-based uh, organizations partnering together to be part of this application with P2's role is really oversight and administration, uh, but it just shows you the power that a collaborative has to really pull people together. And they've just started their work, and their goal by 2013 is a reduction of a 30-day readmissions by 20% in western New York. What's most interesting now is we're working to bring the health plans together to have one care transitions program for all people um, on Medicare in our region, which is very person-centered and family-centered. So that's very exciting for us, and we think we're going to see some dramatic changes. The other interesting thing about care transitions, we're able to translate that right back to the physician offices, the primary care physicians that we've been working with on uh, EMR adoption and, and clinical transformation. So we're able to really connect everybody in our regional quality improvement work through this one particular um, uh, care transitions program. The second example is we have um, a payment reform um, and quality improvement initiative around community Medicaid collaborative. And that really is focused on emergency room utilization. And it, as, you, as I said earlier, this is really our focus on health equity and working with safety net providers. And we have been able to go deeper due to our uh, support we have in six primary care practices in the Buffalo and Niagara Falls region. We're touching nearly 30,000 patients. We, one of our requirements is that they're effectively using health information technology and we're focusing on diabetes and depression and, and showing the pilot where if you bring care coordination and community health workers together, we can really begin to look at the social determinants of health and begin to learn so then we can spread that through other uh, areas in our eight-county region. Wow. Okay. Boy, you did a great job. <laughs> I could learn from you in terms of uh, really giving a very, very good uh, cogent uh, distillation of a lot of work. So thank you very much, uh, Shelley. I think uh, hopefully uh, folks and I imagine people will have some questions for you. And I know that's at some level you call those out, and yet it's also just the tip of the iceberg, I think, of the yeah. uh, cross-cutting uh, things that you're working on. So, Shelley, thanks. All right. I promised uh, before I get to Carol, I'm going to just ask Catherine. Brown, just to sort of pull back, I suppose, from what you, uh, this is one of many communities that you're in touch with and are aware of, and I really invite you to pretty much offer any uh, perspective uh, that you'd like, uh, just in terms of uh, whether what uh, Shelley is describing is fairly uh, typical um, or what you would maybe point out based on her comments. Sure. I have the, um, you know, Western New York is in aligning forces for quality um, a community, and I have um, the great pleasure to work with Shelley and her team, but I also have the pleasure of working with 15 other communities across the country. And just to maybe um, weave some threads between what Craig said and what Shelley said, I would maybe underscore a couple of points that I think are um, perhaps really important for others on the phone to keep in mind. Um, one of which is that um, community collaboratives are a real opportunity to reconcile sometimes disparate and competing measurement and other initiatives. Um, so I think we all are aware that there can be a cacophony of strategies that are employed at the community level, and that leads to a situation in which there isn't good public reporting, there isn't good um, a kind of common set of measures. Um, physicians are confused, patients are confused, consumers are confused. Um, no one's kind of having a strong signal strength in terms of uh, the market and the performance. And so this kind of common table concept, this multi-stakeholder alliance, is really a way to have that conversation get started and have some movement so that ultimately we all are, you know, rowing in the same direction. I think I mixed metaphors there. Okay. Um, but, to, you, know, that, to, you know, we're all after a system transformation, and that comes in the form of improved quality, like reduced readmissions, you know, lowered costs, and better patient experience. And, um, you know, I think the strategies, whether they're HIT or performance measurement and public reporting or payment reform, 
you know, are kind of the um, many tools that we have in our toolbox. So that would be kind of just one point I would make. Um, the second point I would make is something that uh, Shelley said and Craig mentioned in terms of his opening comments is that, you know, there's a probably unprecedented opportunity at this point to really link and leverage public and private sectors, uh, both in terms of um, uh, stakeholders, but also in terms of payment mechanisms. And, you know, I think many of our communities in Alliance Forces for Quality are really trying to engage both the private payers and the health plans, but also Medicaid and CMS through many of the CMMI um, opportunities. And so I think um, many of the very successful alliances have done that through a lot of hard work um, and, um, you know, uh, just, you know, sheer tenacity of will. Um, but I think that it, it really is an important thing to think about in terms of uh, really the kind of point we are at um, in time at this moment um, is that when you can really get some traction in terms of those cross-cutting initiatives where you're engaging both the public and private sectors. So those would be the just two mm-hmm. main points that I would, would kind of call out. Okay. That's great. Those are very, very important, and, and I appreciate your kind of knitting knitting those things together, some stuff for us uh, to chew on. All right. Carol, um, again, now you've had, I guess, the nice benefit of uh, hearing uh, from folks. So, um, so how and in what ways does the IHI's kind of triple-aim regional work encompass, uh, maybe relate to some of the themes that you're hearing here, and what would you call out as perhaps some of the framing that uh, ha- has been really useful? Yeah, there's there's so much that's that's convergent here, and in fact, I think um, we often cross each other's tracks. Some of the areas that we're working in are also aligning forces communities, or our beacon communities, or our chartered value exchanges. So there's lots of there's lots of convergence here, and I think it's great to um, recognize that all of those things are expressions of will and expressions of capacity, and we can start to weave them together. Um, what you'll see on the screen is just a quick overview of what do, what do we mean when we're talking about the triple aim, and that's familiar familiar to most of you, I'm sure. And if we go to the next slide, I'll, I'll at least share the initial framing that we've used in the triple aim to do our testing. So we're always looking at populations. Initially, it could be a, a defined population like the members of a health plan or the, the people that get their care in a particular system. But we've also discovered as we've been learning our way through this that even for a defined fairly discrete population, pretty soon if you're interested in all three dimensions of the triple aim, you're going to find yourself outside the edges of the health system. And when we think about the part of the system that we're interested in, which is in the blue circle, you'll see that we really are calling out a variety of different services that allow people to be well. So it's not just health care. It includes public health. It includes social services. It includes behavioral health. You could put um, school systems in there. You could put um, healthy workplaces or uh, the physical um, attributes of communities that allow people to be outside and active, all of those things could be in that that blue bubble as, as part of the system that allows people to be well. Um, we do focus on a set of system-level metrics, and there are metrics. They're not always easy to use, but there are metrics that exist that speak to all three dimensions of the triple aim. And then the green boxes are areas where we do testing. So all in all of those areas, they've been fertile ground for really learning our way through this very, very complex um, systems challenge. As as we've marched forward in the AAA and as more and more of our participants, both inside the United States and outside the United States, um, have begun to intensify their connections with community partners, with regional improvement aims, um, we have we've called out a few things that seem to be helpful in organizing the work because once once you're outside the edges of the health system it's a whole it's a different ball game um, there are um, civic partners there are business partners there are all sorts of sectors that you'll see here and and there's no one way to define the edges of a system, but it is worth thinking about how do you choose to think about your system and what opportunities might that open up to you as you begin to expand. 
So as we've been thinking with um, a number of our partners in the U.S. in particular um, and outside the U.S., there are a few things that really seem to contribute to um, getting underway in a regional sense. One of them is purpose, which may sound a little bit vague, but um, it, it turns out to be quite an important um, kind of glue that allows disparate stakeholders to come together around something that people care enough about that when the going gets tough, and typically it will get tough, there's something to hold people together. So to give you a sense of what that looks like, a couple of the regional sites that we've worked with quite a bit, one is in central Michigan, kind of centered on Saginaw, Michigan, and encompasses several counties there. Um, another is in Memphis, Tennessee, and, in, and encompasses Shelby County. And they, even though they're, they're, they're different regions, they're different um, kind of makeup of the region, one of the things that they share in common is the feeling of urgency about having a region that has um, a strong economic base that allows the residents to have opportunity to be, to be in a thriving community, to allow young people to stay in the area. So both of them have interestingly been encouraged and even anchored um, by leaders on the business side of things. You know, in, in Memphis, it's a, it's a business coalition. In, uh, in Saginaw and Central Michigan, it's a large employer in that area, Dow Chemical, which has been very progressive in its support for regional improvement. So purpose is, purpose is key, and it's usually not, it's usually couched in a large frame, like having this be a place where our children could grow up and stay and have really good, prosperous, thriving um, communities to live in. Another area is around aims and measures, and I, one of my personal dreams is that one day it will become common to just drive through the center of a town and next to the United Way you know, thermometer that shows how much funding we're raising for the United Way, that we would have the little thermometers that show us how is health improving here, how is care experience improving here, it's what's happening it's to a great our image. per capita <laughs> cost you know, in this region. And we, we have a ways to go, I think, before those measures become the kind of thing that we could put on a bulletin board in town hall, but that that I think is a is a destination that would help us because we can start to align when we have some aims and measures, and it allows us to really organize the work. Um, and that brings me to the third piece of this, which is to have a portfolio of projects that together can get you to triple aim results. And I think what you're hearing, I think Shelley um, and and Craig in particular called out what. Um, portfolios of what work might look like. They're going to have a number of um, interrelated um, initiatives and projects with perhaps distinct goals, perhaps relating to distinct issues or distinct population segments, but together they're designed to get to a destination that's meaningful for a region. And it's it, again, it's not an easy thing to come up with a set or a portfolio of projects and then to deploy action against that portfolio so that that set of critical improvements can move forward um, together and, and produce sort of the one and one is three or one and one is four kind of result. And then finally, um, when you're working in regions, we're, and we, we discover this, you know, again and again and again, there's no easy answer to it, but um, we need new ways to handle governance. Um, it's not it's not easy for leaders across sectors to collaborate. Um, there's a need for some kind of structure that's you know tight enough and loose enough that people can get things done. You know, a place where decisions can be made, a place where resources can be brought together. So the question of governance, I think, in communities is always dynamic. You know, um, a leader retires or moves to another community, and there there goes some linchpin in your system. Or um, you have a new uh, county administrator or a new city mayor coming in into office, and and everything changes or an employer is upscaling or downscaling, everything changes. So um, I think that the challenge of governance is no no small matter. But what what we're I think what we are beginning to see is possible is to actually generate some measurable changes. And where we've seen this most distinctly is actually amongst some of our international partners that have health systems that are organized regionally. And we've actually seen places where they have intentionally done um, work, in particular around cardiovascular disease um, and um, 
infant mortality, where they've actually been able to show at a regional level that they're increasing life expectancy. That's Now we're starting to get pretty meaningful in terms of health. So I think that the day will come when we have those kinds of, of results on a larger scale to point to here in the U.S. Wow. Okay, I have about 10 questions, and I'm just going to keep a zipper right now uh, because I want to get to let uh, those of us, those of you who are joining today now, to get in on the conversation. So thank you, Carol. Thank you, everyone, uh, for laying out, I think, some really, really interesting ideas and sort of a a nice uh, picture of the the work that's uh, going on. John, remind everybody of of how to participate in the chat, and we'll get that going, and uh, hopefully. Hopefully we'll go around the horn with questions for everyone. Thanks, Madge. Uh, but to your bottom right is the chat window, um, and you can see what's being said. Uh, make sure that when you're asking questions that you uh, switch the send to box to all participants. That way uh, I can see it, Madge can see it, Carol can see it here, and also Shelley, Catherine, and Craig, uh, uh, wherever they are in the country, can also see it. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we'll let you folks uh, start uh, typing away. And um, I have a couple of questions that maybe I'll I'll, I'll start to lob out there as you're thinking of some. Um, I'll start back. Go go back to Craig very quickly. What assumptions have you shattered? Would you say based on your work to date? What assumptions do you think you had going in that have really changed? Sure. Well, first of all, um, uh, I just want to emphasize that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about coordination and collaboration and aligned vision. And at the end of the day, this is about work. This is hard work, and it's about people rolling up their sleeves, uh, defining specific projects, and being really aggressive about, you know, pursuing an agenda. It's tough because often not everybody works for the same organization. They have different bosses. Um, but it's really uh, about getting stuff done. And um, so I guess a first assumption is just um, that it's, you know, maybe the assumption was that it's nearly impossible for uh, folks from different organizations to come together and and not talk in high level and shake hands, but actually get really granular about specific activities, agree on those, and get them done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So that's been a real, that's a thread that uh, goes throughout all of you. Um, Okay, I see people. Thank you, Craig. And uh, maybe we'll get some of those assumption shatterers uh, out uh, to all of you in in just a moment, the other guests. Jack is asking, uh, perhaps this is to you, Carol, uh, can you provide examples of system-level measures that capture all three elements of the triple aim? Sure. There are certainly um, measures of population health that are well recognized and one of the one of the better sources that we use all the time has just been really useful to us um, it's a, another Robert Wood Johnson uh, Foundation supported effort and that's the county health rankings so they've really pulled together a pretty um, robust set of data and performance at the county level and what they've done is state by state they've ranked from the strongest to the weakest counties in terms of their in terms of their health status they look at um, the, the variety of determinants the social determinants the behavioral determinants the health care determinants um, so that's a very good uh, thing to look at in terms of care experience we tend to come back to the IOM measures so you know is it safe is it equitable patient-centered timely efficient um, and effective and so all of those things are we think good measures of experience um, and in terms of per capita cost Again, the the tough thing about these measures is that usually there's no one source for all of them, so you're cobbling them together from different places. But um, where you can get something approaching per capita cost is often uh, through health plans. They know, and if you can encourage them to, to share that and help people use it to improve, it's a great benefit. There are some measures that are Proxies, you know, they might be approximately um, indicative of what's happening to cost. Things like 
um, avoidable emergency department use, avoidable hospitalizations, um, some of the rehospitalization work that Shelley has um, talked about and is making good progress on um, is another place to look. So if you start to look for some of those very high-cost um, events and see if you can reduce the frequency of those. Um, and again, the, the trick of the tri triple aim is to make them better without making anything else worse. You know, uh, they do pull against each other in certain ways. But there is on our website um, some information about the measures set that we've described, and we'd be happy to share that with you. Right, that sounds great. Thanks. Lots of great questions here. Um, I'll sort of jump around here. An interesting one about agencies using their portfolio of work um, other than documenting, which of course is important, and the progress itself. Is it linked to reimbursement in any way? So here, interesting question about the bridge between doing this work right now and uh, any of the other initiatives that are underway in the country that might in some way reward. Um, maybe, Catherine, maybe I'll I'll pop this over to you and anyone else is feel, uh, feel free to jump in. Sure. Thanks, Magic, and I appreciate the question. Um, you know, actually, we do have um, many of our alliances, in fact, all of our alliances are working on payment reform efforts. I would say that they are probably all across the continuum. Some are very nascent, others are already bearing fruit. Um, so, you know, I would uh, just maybe point out, um, for example, Puget Sound. Um, they're working with a combination of seven health plans and 12 primary care clinics. Um, that encompasses, I think, about 27,000 patients. Um, and they are actually focusing on avoidable um, emergency department visits. Um, they are actually linking with those seven um, health plans around common measures and also um, uh, negotiated with those health plans uh, a uh, kind of incentive, if you will, around a upfront per member um, payment for enhanced care coordination. Uh, that is ex actually expected if their model will bear the fruit to save about $3.8 million. Um, so, it, you know, I would say that uh, one of the lessons that um, we've learned is that payment is really critical to support the quality and cost changes that we all hope to see. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Catherine. Hey, Madge, I'll jump in here. Please do. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we think about healthcare transformation as a two-act play. First, wire the system. Second, rethink the way we pay for it. And so we're really excited that the uh, uh, CMS's um, Innovation Center is now up and running and pilot uh, payment pilots here in the U.S. are well underway. They happen to coincide that with the communities that we work with often. So in Bangor, Maine, for example, uh, the Beacon community there and the delivery system there is now one of the 32 pioneer ACOs, and they call it the Bangor Beacon ACO. Of the seven comprehensive primary care initiatives, which are uh, ambulatory medical home projects funded through Medicare, uh, three of those are communities that we work with. And so they're leveraging technology but now the payment system is coming along to actually uh, present the opportunity for a business case for further investment in technology, but not just technology and improvement, most importantly. Okay. Thanks very much. Craig, maybe I'll stick with you, and then I'm going to also have ask Shelley to join in. There is a question here asking about rural communities and bandwidth and uh, these communities being able to uh, basically uh, kind of benefit in the same way in terms of interconnectivity. Um, so, Craig, uh, I know those are rural communities are for sure represented in the Beacon work, and Shelley can uh, talk to that as well. Yeah, great question. And look, it's tough work and uh, uh, resource constraints. You know, in some of these rural regions, just actually having a meeting is very costly because people have to tra travel so much. So uh, all that said, we do see tremendous work underway uh, in places like Spokane, <clears throat> where they're doing terrific work uh, using some novel technology, remote monitoring, um, e-health and uh, telehealth kind of strategies to connect to patients that are in distal locations. So technology has a lot to offer rural communities. Uh, one of the most wired hospitals in America is uh, rural hospitals, safety net hospitals, is in uh, the Mississippi. Uh, this um, system is a high-performing, small critical access hospital uh, that is accelerating um, improvement work and using meaningful use as a foundation of electronic health records. So it's hard, and uh, yet we see rural communities really doing 
impressive work. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Shelley, any uh, thoughts to add to that? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, most of our work, a lot of our work is done with our seven of our eight rural counties. They're very rural. And one, and uh, Craig talked about the technology. Almost all the physicians we're working with in the hospitals have the ability uh, to, to have uh, effective technology. But I want to just add one of the things we've done uh, is to partner, find in each of those rural areas a strong partner who has an interest in engaging community, engaging the hospitals and physicians around quality improvement. And what we do is we actually partner with them and push funding out so that they're able uh, to effectively work in their communities where they, they know the people, they know the organizations, they know what needs to be done. And we've had a very successful, uh, one of our uh, counties, Cataraugus County, which has very, uh, on that um, Wisconsin um, uh, roadmap of metrics, is not a very strong county in terms of health and health care. And they have been able to make great progress by convening stakeholders within their own county, and we're able to support them in that effort. So it can be done if you kind of structure it and get the right partners at the table. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Shelley. Uh, Carol uh, wanted to come back to some of the discussion about this work aligning with reimbursement and payment. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think that um, a lot of important work is happening, and certainly the accountable care organization and shared savings model and global payment models, I think, have a lot to offer us. But there may be another um, couple of strands of thinking that we could add in here. One of them is to recognize that um, health care has pretty much been consuming a lot of surplus already. So there was a recent article that documented or estimated that the average person, a person of average income, all of the wage growth that's happened over the past decade has gone to health care. They're not a penny better off than they were 10 years ago, and all of the extra growth that's happened in their compensation has all gone into health care. So we're seeing that you know, health care already consumes um, perhaps more than, more than a sustainable share of the resources. So when we speak about um, payment reform, I think sometimes the default expectation is that we're going to incentivize people by offering them more money to do some extra thing. And yet what... If we were looking at this globally, we would get very focused on, okay, where is the waste? Let's get the waste out and move things, move resources into things that actually produce the kinds of results and the kinds of system performance that we want. So we, we sometimes talk about, rather than always thinking in terms of incentives, could we sometimes think about removing the disincentive to do something? What's To notice what's getting in the way of doing the right thing and see if we could remove disincentives. Um, we also talk about about um, ideas like giving the money back. Um, if, uh, you know, there was a recent article in JAMA written by Don Berwick and Andy Hackbarth that talks about a possible approach to thinking about waste in healthcare in terms of wedges of, of excess cost or wedges of waste. And um, we would love to see somebody tackle the wedges. Um, that would, I think, would be a very, very productive thing to go hand in hand with how do we, you know, remove disincentives or incentivize new things. But the waste reduction and um, piece of it may, may not get quite as much attention as, as it is going to need to have. Interesting. What would you, uh, just a quick example, what's a, a, a disincentive perhaps that's already kind of uh, front and well, center? one of the things that people talk about is that um, they don't, you know, in a primary care practice, they don't get um, any you know, compensation for doing care coordination, or that's hard. It's hard to put systems together that allow for that. And so to figure out, okay, what is the additional benefit of doing that? And can we take some of the, you know, reductions in hospitalization or ED use and actually redirect those resources? It requires, it's tricky because it requires going past the edges of, of um, healthcare organizations and other institutions. Um, it, it can ignite um, competitive and protective kinds of uh, dynamics, but but we're going to have to. I think that this is a place where regional intent can make a difference. Okay. Thank you very much. Anyone else uh, want to say anything further about payment? I'm going to jump to another question. Okay. 
Neil Baker asked about governance, and uh, Carol alluded to it, of course, in terms of um, you know wrapping our minds around that and the work, and things can change. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll um, <clears throat> pop this over to, to Catherine just to move things around as far as what you're seeing, um, in, because when we're talking about stakeholders, we are talking about uh, people that may crisscross through agencies and government posts, uh, leadership across uh, communities and municipalities. What are you finding in terms of both the ability to engage these folks and also kind of the stability of that? Sure. Thanks, Matt. And I really appreciate the question. It's a very good one. So um, I'll draw two distinctions that I think are important, one of which is the governance of the organization. And in our case, it's an actual um, alliance, um, but there is a, you know, a grantee. And sometimes that the governance of the organization, the board, may be different than the decision maker or the steering committee, if you will, in some cases, that governs a project like Aligning Forces for Quality. So I think it's really important to, as people start thinking about, um, you know, having conversations amongst different stakeholders and amongst competitors um, to really understand, you know, kind of who's at the table, what are the parameters, um, who and how decisions get made, um, and that can be codified in a you know formal bylaws and if you're in an organization, but it also can be codified in kind of the process and procedures of the different groups and the different committees. Um, many of our alliances and the you know, structures are all across the map, um, but I could say that all of them um, have uh, you know uh, very much engaged different stakeholders and uh, function in a pretty robust committee structure. Um, that can kind of feed into essential decision-making bodies. So sometimes there's a performance measurement council, that sometimes there's a physician council, sometimes there's a consumer council, um, and they all have roles to play. It's really important as the organizations and the conversations get going to um, make sure everybody's on the same page and get those um, decisions on board. One last point, and it's related to governance, and it's, I think, Madge, one of the things you were alluding to in your question is around sustainability. Um, And we think of sustainability from the kind of National Program Office perspective about the sustainability of the goals of Aligning Forces for Quality, not necessarily um, the sustainability of the organizations. I would um, probably suggest that Shelley is... I'm very concerned about both the, you know, uh, robustness of PE2 Collaborative, but also about continuing on with her work. Um, And I think that as um, governance shifts and evolves over the course of the discussion, um, governance and financial structures and sustainability all come into play. And that's something to really consider um, because it can be um, a challenge to balance those two things. Yeah, go ahead. Madge, can I add to that? Absolutely. Uh, Shelley. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just want to add to what uh, Catherine said because yep. my observation over the last several years is depending where we are in, in the evolution as a collaborative, governance structures really may be modified. Or, for example, we added on two coalitions that we support around healthy lifestyles and equity because that's what we needed to do. So, we, you know, we have a stable board that's multi-stakeholder, but I think you have to be attuned to the fact you might need to evolve different types of structures to surround that board and inform that board. Okay, thank you very much. A um, couple of points I want to make. This is great. I can't believe we're actually getting up to the top of the hour. This often happens on this show. Um, you, of course, uh, are familiar with, I uh, hope you're familiar with all the great work going on in all the organizations we're talking about today. IHI's own Triple AIM work uh, enters a new phase this fall, and uh, we, a new community uh, with a kind of portfolio of work um, does get underway in September, and if you'd like to speak to anyone about that, Carol or Ninyan is here and some other members of the team, you can contact AAAM at IHI.org for more information. And there's also some info on our website. So I did want to invite you all to do that. I guess what I'm going to ask, um, I hope this isn't a trick question, uh, just to sort of start wrapping things up and we'll go around the horn. Maybe I'll go back to Craig again. Uh, he kicks things off nicely. I want to ask you this question. Who do you think cares? about this work right now, this regional work. And uh, as you go forward, who do you hope does care about it, I suppose, and is going to be paying attention? Craig? Well, uh, 
you know, an obvious point is that the people who live in communities care about the performance of their healthcare system. Uh, but um, beyond that, I really think over time, more and more people are focused on regions. I really see it uh, within the government. I see it within the private sector. I think it's evidenced by health plan, commercial health plans, willingness to partner with uh, the Medicare team and launch uh, new ways of collaboratively uh, paying physicians in specific communities. Uh, certainly from a technology perspective, we see uh, geographies, local medical trading regions as the nidus of um, exchange. Exchange uh, often starts in communities and uh, the ability to move electronically uh, health information. So I, I'm really convinced that people um, are increasingly excited about work within regions. Uh, it's hard work, but it's really rewarding work, and um, I think we'll see it grow over time. Okay, thanks so much, Craig Brammer. Catherine, who do you hope is paying attention, uh, um, or who you know, or who you're working to make sure does pay attention to all this work that uh, Aligning Forces for Quality uh, has been doing? Yeah, so you know, I think of this as kind of um, three key audiences. So, of course, within our 16 communities, I think we. Um, have seen you know, an amazing ability to be to have communities reach out to other communities and to be experts. And so I think that um, kind of within the family of beacons and CBEs and um, aligning forces for quality, I think there's a, a, a great amount we can teach each other in terms of peer-to-peer. And so I hope we care about one another's work and the lessons that we learn. Um, the second audience I would say I, I desperately hope we can reach is um, those that aren't within those kind of three communities and that haven't um, yet kind of um, really gotten multi-stakeholder alliances and some of the transformational work off the ground. So I think there's a kind of second generation that I um, really hope to, um, you know, win over, if you will. And I I think the third is um, the kind of federal initiatives. And I think that there's a lot to share between um, between the kind of local and regional work and to the national level. And I, um, I, I think the other piece is that kind of the national will obviously um, very much affect what's going on in the local and regional level. So I, I hope it's a kind of two-lane highway and what we can mm-hmm. exchange information um, back and forth. Sounds good. And it'll be very, very interesting. I mean, so much of, of course, the policy discussion, if we don't, either we're talking nationally or it's all carved up by states, um, for understandable reasons. But uh, it'll be interesting uh, to begin to sort of see the, the regional overlay on this. Shelley, uh, who, uh, maybe you can tell us who's paying attention now and who do you hope pays even more attention to what you're doing? <laughs> Well, we we do have a lot of attention from, as Catherine and, and Craig said, from the national folks. Definitely have a lot of attention from the New York State, because I believe that what we're doing in our part of the of the state could be replicated throughout the state. So I think we want we want to continue to have their engagement and certainly their financial support. We really, really would love to have the attention when we really get to the point of policy change. We'd like the policymakers to really listen to what we have to say from the regional level. But at the end of the day, I really want people in our communities to understand the seriousness of what's going on and what about their own personal change and behaviors. I want them to have the tools they need. So I want people to understand so that we can give them the capacity to be empowered consumers and to begin to really push the dial on what needs to happen in the community. So I'm hoping we get to the people. All right. Thank you so much, Shelley Hirschberg. Carol? Well, it's, um, it, it's it's really all of those. I think that certainly within the healthcare professions, we know a lot about what's working, what's not working, and I know that there's a great deal of frustration. We want things to be better than they are, so there's loads and loads of will to be harnessed there. Um, within those that are footing the bill, I think there's an increasing sense of urgency. You know, state budgets are are being painfully pinched, and healthcare has a lot to do with that. Um, our private sector employers are being really pressed to the wall uh, to, to succeed in economically difficult times, and, and they're going to have much more sense of urgency about getting this to happen. And then I think within communities themselves, you know, where we live, where we play, where we worship, where we learn, where we work, all of those are places that have a lot to do with the kind of health we experience as people, and that... Um, 
association, those associational structures have a lot of power in them that I think we've just begun to scratch the surface on. All right. Wow. Well, listen, I want to thank all my guests and I also uh, for uh, all the richness uh, that we were able to share with you today. Thank the audience as well for contributing to this discussion. The conversation uh, is able to continue on Facebook if you'd like, IHI's Facebook page. And if you go to any uh, WI, excuse me, IHI.org page, you'll see the Facebook icon at the bottom of the page and we invite you to continue the discussion and make some comments. Next up on WIHI on August 9th, we're going to be talking about minimally disruptive medicine. Victor Montori and Nile Shah, excuse me, are going to be here and that promises to be a very, very interesting, provocative discussion about um, dealing with chronic health issues and uh, but not burdening patients more by uh, making that necessarily a full-time job. And the webpage is live on this uh, right now and uh, feel free to in, uh, enroll or go check it out on IHI.org. A reminder that you can access all our previous programs. They're available as downloads or podcasts. Uh, you can review the archive uh, on IHI.org and uh, we have um, really want to, we're, we continue to try and organize the material, especially on iTunes, uh, so that you can find things just that much easier. So please uh, take advantage and if you got something out of this program, please let somebody else know. When you log off the show, uh, those of you who were on through the WebEx as opposed to just phone, uh, you are prompted if you want to save the chat, slides, anything else uh, we shared today on the screen. If you were just on the phone or you missed something, email info at IHI.org. We'll be glad to share it with you. The people who helped make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morrison, our Northeastern uh, Co-op, Dina Cox. Uh, Jameson Case is also now on board with us, uh, helping us with WIHI, so welcome. And uh, we have some sort of fun music that we continue to be attached to. Their original arrangements by Aaron Flanders and Miguel Safasoa. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.